Welcome to the FinTech Today podcast with your host, Carlos Cabrera, where everything is unfolded from FinTech news, personalities, and stories just for you. Hello, everyone. This is your host, uh, Carlos Cabrera, here at uh, FinTech Today. My uh, guest is a very interesting one. He is a lawyer turned entrepreneur. He's a uh, co-founder of uh, Minute Box, Sean Bernstein, and he was also an associate at Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt. He also possesses a uh, and uh, a law degree and an MBA from McGill University, and uh, also a Bachelor of Arts from the same university. Welcome, Sean. It's a pleasure to have you. Very excited. Thank you so much, Carlos. Great to be here. Awesome. And you know, can you share with us what is Minute Box and why do you think it keeps on? Uh, growing and growing and growing? It's a great question. Um, so in a nutshell, Minutebox is a cloud-based software that helps law firms, large organizations, accounting firms deal with a lot of their data and information associated with what we would call corporate minute books or corporate entities. Um, and to sort of unpack that, let me paint a picture for you. Every business around the world at some point probably was incorporated, which means they submitted some information to the government, played a, paid a fee, and then have something that may resemble a certificate that says you are now a business. And there are certain obligations that come with being a business, everything from having a meeting annually, making sure your stockholders or your shareholders are aware of it. And this applies to both publicly and privately traded companies. So for example, the very, very large companies tend to have very, very large annual meetings, um, but a single proprietor or owner of a corner store, for example, still has certain obligations that they need to abide by. Now, all of this information, all of the records associated with any kind of company are generally kept in what's called a corporate minute book, which is literally a physical binder containing important pieces of information related to the growth and history of a company. So think about this. Every company around the world has some physical piece of information that's stored in a binder somewhere that at some point someone needs to go through, examine, make sure all the information is correct and up to date. And they need to do that on an annual basis. That should get your mind going a little bit. The amount of inefficiency that's associated with something like that, a very traditional way of doing legal work, we're still caught in a few generations behind. So what Minutebox does is recognizing that law firms are inundated with corporate records, many of them taking up entire floors in downtown Bay Street and Wall Street and throughout London, takes all of that information, puts it on a cloud-based system. So rather than having to find that information physically, you can click a button and find it on the cloud. Rather than having to courier a binder halfway across the world, you can simply share a link. Rather than having to open up uh, Microsoft Word precedents in a amount that may take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or four hours, everything can be done with a simple button click internally within the system because our system is data focused and data driven. So we uh, yield high levels of efficiency when managing corporate records, and we present it in a very uh, user-friendly way that's available online. Wow, that uh, creates a lot of uh, efficiencies that added efficiencies, I should say. And basically, can an entrepreneur basically come to you and you handle the corporate minutes from the beginning until the end? Or is do you handle them partially and then they 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 um, take care of the uh, of uh, some parts of it? 
So that's a really good question. Um, Minuteblocks is an enterprise design software. So um, on the rarest of occasions, we'll have entrepreneurs come to us, which may have a single minute book. Uh, but the vast majority of our clients happen to be law firms, as well as uh, organizations that manage large collections of their own internal minute books. Mm -hmm. The reason being is because while the interface and use of the system is quite simple, uh, its power is quite robust. And the system doesn't teach you the sorts of things you would need to know when it comes to managing a book, but rather gives you the tools that if you know what to do, makes it far more efficient. So uh, a lot of our power users are those who are quite seasoned in what it takes to update a corporate minute book. But there's also, and this comes back to my legal background, why we've designed the system like this, is even though an output when it comes to corporate minute book work may look simple, which is just a document, for example, which has a couple words saying we've updated this and, and this is what a new certificate looks like, for example, there are very real legal consequences from doing something improperly. Uh, that is to say, if you yourself think you're managing your book correctly, um, but in fact, you're doing it incorrectly, that may cost you significantly in the future when you have to do something like a minute book review. And, and as a result, we, um, we suggest that if someone doesn't necessarily have the understanding of what it takes to manage a minute book, then minute blocks may or may not be the right solution for them. But we have all kinds of users who are using the system uh, in order to make their minute book work much easier. That's great. And, and what uh, I know that you know, at the beginning of, of your career, you were involved with a law firm and now you're an entrepreneur. What is your view of entrepreneurship and how different it is from the previous legal work that you used to do? I think we're going to need a lot longer than a half hour if we go into the differences <laughs> between a strict profession like law and, and entrepreneurship life. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, and I, I told everybody this, entrepreneurship was never my dream. My dream was to be a part of a very large law firm, uh, work in Bay Street or, or Wall Street, uh, able to be a part of some of the largest deals and grow my career that way. I quickly uncovered and realized as I was starting my legal career that there were parts of the law um, or legal practice that I was more drawn towards, things like technology, things like brand building, things like efficiency, and was less drawn to the things that lawyers actually do, things like doing legal work. Um, I often tell a funny story, but it was kind of at this moment that I realized that I was in the wrong position for me professionally. Um, it was in 2015 and the Blue Jays were having a fabulous time uh, riding a wave into the playoffs. And I remember one of my co-associates in the legal department telling me how she was working on this massive deal. And she was so proud and rightfully so. And my response to her was, I just spent the, you know, the afternoon watching the Blue Jays game and you and I got paid the same amount. Um, and I was very happy to do that. That's when I began to realize there are people who are really passionate about delivering legal service. And no matter how much I did it, I would probably never be that person. But I was still directly connected uh, to the law as a profession uh, because I still recognized there were so many good things that lawyers, legal professionals were doing. I just wanted to be able to provide what I could in a different capacity. So I took my passions, things like technology and, uh, and law, obviously, uh, as well as um, uh, innovation. And I tried to mold that into uh, what may have been a career within different law firms. I wanted to be the person that would be able to introduce new technological solutions for practice management, how to make law firms more efficient, effectively everything around the business of law. Now, it turns out I was probably 18 months too early because when I described that to different law firms, they look at me like I was talking about Bigfoot. 
Now we find those roles existing um, in medium and large size law firms. They want people to come in and help them introduce new, uh, new efficiency processes, help discuss with them new technologies that may make uh, their practices better. But because I couldn't find what I was looking for, uh, I decided that maybe as a last resort, the best opportunity was entrepreneurship. And I happened to have networked extensively and came across my now co-founders, and we've been working together for, for four and a half years. But the, the, so that's how I ended up where I am. And then the realities of being in this environment now are wholly different. Uh, I would say no matter what job anybody has, you're going to be stressed. Uh, whether it's because you have deadlines for a client or a customer, uh, or because you have bosses who are uh, requiring you to hit certain uh, milestones, uh, or the pressures that you put on yourself to succeed and grow the corporate ladder, um, versus the stresses I have, you know, trying to keep our business afloat, making sure our employees are paid, uh, making sure when the time is right, we can raise capital, making sure our customers who are paying us, um, who are paying us money uh, are actually getting the value and service they require. I would say the biggest source of stress, and oftentimes one of the pieces that um, individuals who are thinking about entrepreneurship don't realize is exactly what it takes to get off the ground to a point where you're actually delivering service. There were a lot of sleepless nights and sleepless, not just because there was so much to do, but because of the uncertainty, because of the self-doubt that you put upon yourself, there's an adage that goes out there that says 90% of businesses, uh, startups in particular, fail. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why they do. Um, but when you're up there at night, uh, you begin to think, why, are, why am I, why is our business any different from the other 90% that are out there? I'm sure many of them were successful with great ideas and great teams. How do we avoid this trap? And the difficulty is not asking that question, but the difficulty is realizing you don't have an answer. And those are the things that will definitely keep you up at night uh, as an entrepreneur. And then you start to connect with other entrepreneurs and realize what you're going through isn't too dissimilar, but it can be very, very lonely. Even though you may have a great team and everyone is sharing the same kind of sentiment, uh, there is a sense of self-doubt uh, that even today pervades myself, my founders, and, and just about every founder of every company that I know. Oh, that's very interesting. And uh... The, for the audience that right now is um, watching us, what, uh, how does that person, he or she, how do they know that they are built to be an entrepreneur over working for someone else? Well, what is the, what is the old cliche? Um, necessity is the mother of all innovation. Um, I wasn't, as I mentioned, designed to be an entrepreneur as, as far as I know. Uh, I sort of fell butt backwards into this because nothing else was available to me. Uh, and so I would say sometimes, uh, not for everybody, but certainly for some, uh, some people, uh, not having an option is a great way for you yourself to become an entrepreneur. Um, it, it's a very empowering experience. Um, but of course, it does take a heck of a lot of, of time and effort. I would say, though, for a lot of other people, they have difficulty working in an environment where they don't feel that they're in charge. So in, in corporate areas, for example, and for whatever reason, they feel like they can or want to do things a little bit differently. Those are people who, who can gravitate or tend to gravitate towards uh, entrepreneurship. Um, one thing I will caution, entrepreneurship can be quite expensive. Uh, and even though you may succeed in the long term, there are certain short term um, uh, financial difficulties that you may come across, so whether it's uh, being able to pay all of your bills, mortgage, rent, et cetera, even before you're able to get some semblance of financing, if that's your goal. Um, so 
Entrepreneurship, I think, can be very empowering, but it can also be costly, especially the beginning financially. So if that's something that you want to do, make sure you've got a little bit of a buffer if you can, if, if you can afford it, um, in order to avoid the pitfalls of having to go back and, and all of a sudden um, leaving the life of entrepreneurship purely for financial short-term reasons. Sure. And you would say for those out there that are, are listening to us that um, they would need for the, the, the minimum would be like six months or seven months of, of, um, of a um, budget, you know, like overhead to be able to function? Or do you think that they need a year to, of worth of capital, you know? It's, it's really difficult to say. It, it depends on the person, depends on the financial situation. It also depends on what it is they're building. Um, if you're looking to build a high, uh, a high stakes, fast growing technological and eventually venture backed startup, any money that you take out for yourself um, is always money that could have been reinvested. And it does require a little bit of planning and budgeting to ensure that you're able to afford and live and keep the engine running. But at the same time, ensuring that every ounce of or every dollar you have goes back into the company for the purposes of growth. Um, so it's difficult to say that you need X dollars to survive or, or Y dollars over a period of time. But I, I will tell you this. I have come across a lot of entrepreneurs uh, with a bunch of amazing ideas. And ideas are great because those are the seeds upon which products and, and you know, companies are built. Um, but one in particular it was a fabulous idea. It was a new CRM uh, client-facing portal uh, that he believed a lot of large organizations could use. And I believe they could have. The problem was in order to build it, to get where it needed to go, and everyone underestimates how long it takes to build things, um, he believed it would take about three years, which means it would probably take about five, if we're being completely honest, for all of the features and functionality to be in there. Yeah. And he was convinced, and perhaps rightfully so, that once it was fully built, it would blow every other CRM out of the park. Mm. And I have no doubt that he was right. The problem is how do you go from where you are now, someone who just has an idea, and even if they're surrounded by a group of motivated people, to five years in the future when you'll start making some revenue? Because even though you believe everybody will buy your product, there's a lot that can happen in five years. So my question to this individual was, is there any way for you to start making money, start getting some revenue, growing your product, et cetera, at different stages of the product growth? of its build. So are you able to put together something that is so simple right now that you could start selling that is different from any other piece of software currently on the market that would show your value add? And unfortunately, his answer was no. And that prevents a huge monumental hurdle um, for companies that are growing, even though the long term may have um, a, an almost infinite upside. Getting there is the difficult part. Sure. So and anybody who's looking at, at building something over time, ask yourself, how long will it take for someone to buy my product? Not in its completion, uh, not once everything is built out at the very, very beginning for me to make my first dollar. Because from there, that's where you'll build out everything else. There you go. That's that's uh, good advice. And what is the roadmap for Minibox in, in the next five years? It's It's a great question. So myself, um, my co-founding team, we all come from different areas of legal practice. I myself was a corporate lawyer. We have family lawyers, litigators, one who was also involved in um, international bankruptcy, which happens to be a thing, by the way. So when countries go bankrupt, they would call him. He was very, very busy in, in 2008, from 2008 to 2011. Um, 
the legal practice, the legal industry itself has been run the same way for well over a century. Mm -hmm. That is to say, if you were to go back in time, people would be managing corporate minute books in many ways, the exact same way that they are now subject to you know, the added Microsoft Word as opposed to a typewriter. Um, but there are a lot of other verticals in the legal space that are still being practiced the same way. When we've, or what we've done with Minutebox as a, a SaaS platform software solution is we've built it with enough capability to pivot to any other vertical in the legal space. And when the time is right, we can explore different opportunities in order to add efficiency and value add workflow to just about any other vertical that we want to. So whether it's family law, whether it's litigation uh, or any other piece that you can imagine. Um, that's a good thing for us as a, um, as a solution that is now working with some very, very large law firms. We've developed a lot of goodwill. Uh, and so they now trust us to deliver good quality uh, software solutions. And as a result, they're also helping us uh, test if we want to different areas that we may want to focus on in the future. Uh, so we're very excited about all of the areas in the legal space and beyond that are looking to uh, increase their efficiency. Uh, and the next five or 10 years, I think we're going to see a, a whole bunch of products that are offered from Minutebox worldwide. Wow, that sounds so exciting. And uh, do you think it, you'll, um, you know, a lot of um businesses they they want to either grow towards europe or towards the us um have you thought of that is that something that's in the works so we do have international clients and that uh the number of them are actually growing uh both from civil and common law jurisdictions worldwide uh, so customers in Europe, customers in Latin America, customers in Asia. The great thing about us as a company is most part, they're, uh, they're uncovering us. They're contacting us because whatever they're using in their jurisdictions, and they're all using different, we'll call them Frankenstein solutions, doing a little bit here and a little bit of there. Uh, and clearly, whatever they're doing is insufficient for their needs. Uh, so let's be honest, they're not contacting a Canadian company because they want to. They're contacting a Canadian company because they need the solution something that can actually offer a solution to the problem they're facing. And the good news about such an international market is everybody's facing the same problem. Uh, whether you're dealing with minute books in Singapore or in South Africa or in Argentina or in France, the inefficiencies are pervasive universally and globally. And everyone is just looking for a way to alleviate a lot of the pain points associated with traditional minute book entity management. Oh, that's, um, that sounds great. And uh... Now they they I know that uh, you know you uh, you have been through all these phases and and you'll keep on growing and what is what would you say is your message to um, many people that are out there considering maybe following your footsteps in terms of uh, legal work or um, in this case as an entrepreneur what uh, what can you tell them? Great question. Um... First year law school, or maybe second year law school, we're always required to take a, a mandatory legal ethics course. Mm. Uh, and the professor had been teaching it for the better part of 25 years. And one day she decided to have a panel presentation with different kinds of lawyers showing us the different professions or, or the different streams of law that we can go and practice professionally. And so she brought in a senior partner at a very large law firm, which obviously was the thing I was interested in at that point, uh, a solo practitioner, someone who happened to run her own legal practice, uh, someone who was working as an in-house counsel for a major corporation, which for some lawyers is, is a great way for them to, uh, to work within a company, uh, as well as uh, a lawyer for the government. Um, working, I don't know if they're working for the crown in a criminal capacity, but uh, in general, working for the government. 
And I'll never forget this. One of my colleagues after the presentation, and it was great, put up his hand and asked the professor, what about the other jobs in law? And I'll never forget her response. She said, there are no other jobs in law, meaning you had to fit within one of these four parameters in order for you to become what's recognized as a legal professional. And, and for whatever reason, that was unsettling to me because I'd always been told if you get a law degree, you can do anything. And the truth is you can do that. The problem is those in traditional legal professions don't realize what those other jobs may actually be. And so it's often up to the individual to find their particular path. Uh, those who want to go into the legal profession, it's a fabulous profession. It's one that's changing and they're looking for a lot of people to bring in new and innovative ideas to help introduce thoughts of access to justice. How do people who can't afford legal services because they can be expensive, still be able to benefit from what the law can offer them in terms of protection and rights. Um, but also things like technology and innovation are also there. Um, so if you want to do that, that's great. Just be cautious that uh, legal education can be expensive. And oftentimes it, it may be difficult for someone to go through all of the loans and bursaries that are um, required when getting a legal education and then starting a career in entrepreneurship because I think as I mentioned before, being an entrepreneur can be expensive. Uh, so always be cautious of that. Uh, at the same time, if you want to follow a path of entrepreneurship, uh, I would say try and network as much as you can with people in different areas of what may be involved in a business. So um, I used to give a, a very basic lecture to first year university students at McGill in the business course. And, and I would ask them a whole bunch of questions. Who here wants to be a lawyer? 90% would put up their hands and, and then we'd have some words. Uh, and then uh, I would ask who here wants to start their own business and you get a whole bunch of people who would do that as well. And I would ask of those people who want to be entrepreneurs or start your own business, uh, how many of you understand um, finance? And someone put up their hands and I would say, how many of you understand marketing? How many of you understand web design? How many of you understand technology? And the truth was nobody understood everything, which is a really, really good thing, but it's an important realization. We often think of uh, entrepreneurship through the lens of some of the world's biggest names, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, people who can do amazing things with technology as well as with business. Um, but there's a reason why we only have one Zuckerberg. There's a reason why there is only one Elon Musk. It's because just about every other business is built with collaboration of amazing people coming together. So if you're thinking about a career in entrepreneurship more generally, obviously think about what it is you want to do, but also think about all of the other things that come together about building a business. So if you're dealing in technology, you have to actually build out that piece of technology, which a person may or may not have that expertise. But then you also have to think about the other facets of the business. How do you market this product? Uh, how do you add sales? What happens in terms of customer success? These are all things that are necessary, but one individual uh, cannot manage all of that themselves. Uh, so really networking with peers in different, uh, different streams of education is a great way uh, to build up your network to eventually bring in people to what may be a business in the future. Oh, there you go. Networking is part of the, uh, of the game. And uh, Sean, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to hearing more from your project. And uh, from here, we wish you all the success possible. So thanks so much for your, uh, your time and uh, we look forward to the future. Really appreciate it. Uh, to any of your listeners who would like to connect with me on LinkedIn, by all means, go for it. Sean Bernstein on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to connect with me via email as well. I always enjoy meeting entrepreneurs, people in the legal space, and anyone else who's trying to do things just a little bit differently. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it.